Over the last several weeks, we've analyzed the ways in which poskim take into account the positions put forth by previous halachic authorities. As we outlined at the beginning of the year, there are three main factors that poskim take into account when formulating a halachic position. The first is to analyze the canonical sources independently. The second is to understand how previous authorities have ruled on those sources or understood those sources. The third category, which we turn to this week, is minhag, is custom. However, defining custom is difficult, as people mean very different things when they use that, that term. One thing that they mean, or several of the things that they mean, rather, really are much more similar to what we've talked about in the last few weeks, and that is um, not minhag per se, but um, the acceptance of a group of previous authorities. So what we need to do is perhaps outline what we mean by minhag and outline which of those really belong to the category of issues that relate to uh, to what poskim have said and which of those are minhag uh, per se. So sometimes poskim, um, when people talk about minhag, they indeed mean something where the authority for the action derives entirely from custom, meaning no one claims that the issue at hand is a binding obligation, neither biblical nor rabbinic. Um, what they mean is that it is custom. Now, within those customs, there can be some that are minhag Yisrael. They are minhagim that have been accepted by all Jewish people. Um, and those would generally be the strongest minhagim. But people also refer to customs of families, customs of Edot, Ashkenazim and Sephardim, uh, and the like. Um, there are minhagim which people see as binding, um, and sometimes people talk about minhagim that are not binding. Um, so again, what we need to do is analyze what we mean by this term. So again, one category of minhag are things where people understand that the entire authority derives from minhag. Now some of those people understand to be binding, and we'll have to return to why that is, but again, those could be minhag Yisrael, minhag Eidah, minhag Mishpacha, uh, and the like. Sometimes people use minhag to refer to things which are not halachic at all, such as my family has the minhag to say this, ta- this dvar terah on Seder night, or use this type of menorah, or the like, where what they mean is not that I'm bound to do this, but this is just my custom, this is part of my family heritage. And sometimes people use the word minhag loosely to refer to something uh, like that. Sometimes um, what people be, mean by minhag is what um, Rabbi Dr. Chaim Salavechik refers to um, in one of his articles is not minhag, but nohag. Namely, um, this is what people do. Now, what people do could be biblical law, it could be rabbinic law, it could be custom, it could be just what people happen uh, to do. But sometimes when people say minhag, that is what they refer to. And that, as well as we will see, can have halachic weight. Uh, sometimes when they talk about minhag, um, they could be talking about a custom, which is indeed anti-halachic, um, and therefore the minhag should be um, uprooted. Um, and all these types of quote-unquote customs exist, and in each of them one must analyze where they come from, what the authority would be, or lack thereof, in the case of anti-halachic minhagim, um, and the like. Um, but before we return to those, 
I want to focus on um, the ways in which sometimes what people refer to as minhag uh, is in fact uh, straddles the line between minhag and either interpretation of the canonical sources or um, the the views of uh, the acceptance of views of previous authorities. So to start with the second point, and this is something we've mentioned in the last few weeks, um, sometimes when people refer to minhag, they mean minagim, such as the Svardi uh, tradition to follow, let's say, the rulings of the Shulchan Aruch, or the Ashkenazi position to follow the rulings of the Ramah, or a Hasidish group's uh, acceptance of the halachic positions of their Rebbe, the Chabad acceptance of the halachic positions of the Shulchan or Harav, uh, etc. Now, while people will refer to that as minhag, as we already outlined several weeks ago, that is not really minhag, meaning the authority there is not minhag. The model, as the Rajba suggests, is an expansion of the understanding of Mordatra, moving from geographic to um, identity, uh, geography to identity, moving from models in which we define our communities by where we live to where we define our communities by which social group or religious group we identify with. Now, often people refer to this as Minhag, but what that really is, and again we've outlined this, that re-understanding of Maradatra, while referred to as Minhag, is in fact just a subset of the ways in which people and poskim ex- choose to accept particular interpreters of the tradition as having more weight than other interpreters of the tradition. And therefore, since we've already dealt with the, with the question of Maradatra, we will um, avoid returning uh, extensively to, uh, to the issue of that type of quote-unquote minhag. Um, another thing, as we've mentioned, that people refer to as minhag is, in fact, a function of the first prong of psak that we discussed many weeks ago, and that is the interpretation of canonical sources. And this is where we turn to a phrase that appears several places in the Gemara, such as in Erevin, Yudalat, Amibet, and elsewhere, where the Gemara sometimes says, What is the halacha? Go and see what um, the people do. And this, as I mentioned earlier in uh, our brief uh, introduction, is what Rechaim Salavechik refers to not as minhag, but as nohag, meaning what do people do? And here the Gemara seems to introduce the possibility that when one is unsure what the halacha is, one can look at practice, one can look at what people do as evidence of what the halacha should be. Now that may be that when one has a doubt as to how to interpret a canonical source, and what the one can use the lived practice of Jews as evidence for one interpretation or the other, or perhaps in a case when there is a machloket between interpreters of the tradition, if one of those positions has become dominant, so then that can be used as evidence that we rule in favor of that tradition. And here, when you're talking about this type of minhag, of this type of custom, 
you don't really mean custom where the authority emerges from the fact that it's a custom, but rather where the fact that something has become prevalent in the lived tradition of Jews, that is used as a data point to determine that that is in fact the proper way to interpret the canonical sources, or alternatively that indicates which interpreter of the tradition, which previous authority we should rule in accordance with. And there again, while sometimes people refer to that as minhag, that's not minhag as something which is binding because it is custom, but where the custom is taken to be an indicator at something of the other two factors of Psak, of what the primary sources um, should be, how the primary sources should be understood, or alternatively, which authorities should be accepted. This understanding of Minhag, um, as I said, appears in several places. Um, in a more expansive uh, version, then the one mentioned Eruvin, it appears in um, Psachim, where Hillel, after for, forgetting what the halacha was, of how one should bring a knife to the Beit HaMikdash to Shech the Korban Pesach, of Erev Pesach is on Shabbat, um, he provides what seems to be not just a uh, description that we look at Minhag, but almost a theological justification for the importance of this type of practice, of this type of nohag, or why Poskim take that into account. And he says as follows, Amar lahen shamati vishachachti. I knew this halacha, but I forgot it. So let me not get involved. Let me not weigh in. Leave the Jews to their practice. And if they are not prophets, they are the children of prophets. The next day, if one had brought a carbon Pesach, so that was a sheep, so he put the knife in the wool. If he brought carbon Pesach, which was a goat, so he would stick it between the horns. Ra'am Asav and Iskar Halacha. He saw the the act and he remembered that this was the Lachav. Amar Kach Mikublani Mipi Shmayav Avtalyon. And he said, This reminds me that in fact that is the Halacha that I heard from Shmaya and Avtalyon. So here, from this phrase, you see a few things. One is that. As we said, here it is not the custom, per se, that is granting the authority to this halachic interpretation. Rather, there is the working assumption that normally, again, there are cases when this is not true, but normally, the Jews who keep the Torah do the right thing. And therefore, if one is unsure what the halacha was, by looking at the practice, one can reveal what the halacha should be. And in this case, as mentioned, um, Hillel rules based on the custom because it reminds him that indeed that is what he heard from his teachers, from Shemaya Ve'avtalion, that this is the proper halacha. And when we talk about this, again, People will refer to this as minhag, but we're talking here not about minhag, where the authority comes from minhag, but rather we're talking about minhag, 
which is an indicator of what the proper halacha should be. And in this sense, Poskim will take this as a data point in understanding what the halacha should be, how to interpret the canonical sources, and which interpretations of the tradition should be accepted um, because of halacha. As halacha. Now, the Gemara here uses a very suggestive phrase. Namely, they are not prophets, they are the children of prophets. Now, one could simply take this as a turn of phrase, as a poetic license on behalf of the Gemara, but it's also possible that the reason that this type of data is important to post-game is because there's an assumption of, if not prophecy, some sort of divine inspiration that guides the halachic process so that the Jewish people who keep the Torah, if they act in a certain way, one can assume, unless there's overwhelming counter-evidence, that in fact God has led the Jews to this place because that's what he wants the halacha to be. That's what is correct. And Rabbi Salavechik formulates this and is quoted in Nefesh Harav, pages 88 to 89, um, in an interesting context. Um, Ray Salvechik had originally opposed accepting reparations from Germany after the Holocaust. Uh, first, he did not want to give the, uh, the feeling or give the impression that by paying reparations, the people who were guilty of the crimes in the Holocaust had somehow achieved atonement. The second was that he felt that they had the status of Amalek and therefore were completely off-limits. Rai Shechter, though, in Nevesh Arav, quotes that while the, the Rav Rai Salvejik had originally felt this way, Shamati shachar harbe harbe shanim hebiya rabbeinu lechad mitalmidav sh'ulai hochicha ha-historia sh'emdato v'dato b'ze lo ha-yu nechonot. Rai Shechter quotes from another student, Rai Salavechik, that Rai Salavechik later in life expressed um, that perhaps he was wrong and that history had shown that this was not true. Share lule ribui hasiyua hakaspi megermania loaita medina yecholalit pateach. Because once he had seen the way in which um, the reparations provided for the economic development and stability of the early state of Israel, he felt that history had proven itself. And in the footnotes, Rabbi Shechter clarifies that this is based on Sod Hashem Lirayav. That in general, in Psach, there is an assumption that Hashem imbues His will into the hearts of uh, of poskim, and the same thing may apply to the practice of Jews of Enam Nivim and And this is here my my addition, but perhaps this is what that phrase is capturing in the Gemara, which is that if we believe that Hashkacha guides the halachic process, that Hashem doesn't want the, the process to go against His will, 
So therefore, the fact that the Jews practice in a certain way and accept a certain interpretation um, as the basis for their practice, that may be an indication of the fact that the um, that, that is indeed the true halacha. And again, this type of model, um, while we call it minhag, the authority is not truly from the custom itself, but rather what that is taken to indicate about what the halacha should be. Um, now, there are positions within the post-game, both Rishonim and Acharnim, that clarify um, why exactly one would believe this. Um, another reason why one might accept this is because um, of the following. Um, and this has been written about extensively in, uh, in intellectual history of the period of Baliatos Vot. Um, there is an assumption amongst many post-game that Jews, especially those who keep halacha or committed to halacha, are fundamentally good people. And therefore, if they are doing something... Um, that should be an indication uh, that that is uh, halachically correct. Already starting in the Aruch, but this is invoked often amongst the Rishonei Ashkenaz, there is this reference of the, the people in their communities as Kehala Kadisha, this holy congregation. Um, and therefore, many... Um, academic scholars of Bali Hatosot have argued, though admittedly, and this is beyond the scope of, uh, of our shir now, um, the extent to which this is true and how often this is true is the subject of not just debate, but um, revision and um, changes of heart even amongst uh, scholars. And uh, Dr. Chaim Salavechik has himself um, expressed several different versions uh, of this uh, in different uh, in difference of his writings, but um, at any rate, what many have pointed to is that communities where the rabbis were convinced that the people that they were that they were uh, writing um, that that they were living amongst were halachically committed. Um, were more likely, because of their conviction, that their actions reflected that of a kihila kedoshav, a holy congregation, to assume that if there were multiple interpretations of the halakha, that the one that was followed was indeed correct. And in certain cases, to go even farther, and to offer, um, perhaps, forced readings of the primary sources in order to justify the practices of those who are around them, on the conviction that despite the fact that a simple read of the primary sources would not indicate that the people around them were acting correctly, the fact that they were doing it meant that it must be defensible. As I once heard from my teacher, Michael Rosenzweig, um, here, often, it's not that the post-scheme were swayed by the, by the custom alone, but rather... Um, the custom acted as an impetus for them to return to the sugya and find an interpretation of the sugya that once they had seen it, even though the impetus to reread the sugya was external to the sugya, one can suggest that at least in many cases, the post who 
started out with an assumption that they needed to defend the practice, became convinced that their new interpretation of the primary source was in fact the correct one. Um, a classic example that is given of this within the Balei Tosfot is the Tosfot in the first daf of Avodah The first sugyot in Avodah discussed the prohibition to do business with um, idolaters or non-Jews in anticipation of their holidays. Um, noting that this was not kept um, in uh, medieval Ashkenaz, not even their holidays themselves, not even on Sunday, and perhaps not even around the, uh, the yearly holidays, such as Christmas and Easter and the like, the Balea Tosvot offer many, many defenses in a very long Tosvot and in many of the different Balea Tosvot for this practice. And here you see a conviction that if the community of Ashkenaz, which was committed to Halakha, were engaged in business on a regular basis with the peoples around them, then there must be a way to interpret the sugya that would defend uh, their practice. Um, a conviction like this can be seen as well in the Maharik. The Maharik argues that while in some places we find a line um, that the minhag is oker halacha, or the minhag is soter halacha, that a custom can contradict or uproot the halacha, um, he says that this is limited to a case of a minhag which miusad al pichachamim, or al pivatikin, a minhag where you can trace it back to being established by a prominent posseik. He writes this in Church Ches, in Church Tess, and elsewhere. <coughs> and this conviction that custom is important, if you can trace it back to an actual halachic position, again indicates the way in which here Minhag is working with the other models of Psak to determine halacha. Meaning, if there is a previous posseik that was behind a Minhag, so then even if you think that this custom and this interpretation of the halacha is less likely to be the right interpretation of the canonical source, or is not the majority view, the fact that the custom bolsters that interpretation of the tradition gives it authority. And since there was a posseik behind it, that is enough for us to, to hang, um, hang our hats on and claim that, yes, this is indeed uh, the halacha. So again, this is a, a more limited version of it, but this conviction that minhag, at least in combination with other factors, can be an indication of what the halacha uh, should be. Of course... On this level, when you're dealing with minhag, not binding due to custom, but minhag binding because it's an indicator of what the halacha should be, of which position we should accept. So, here there are going to be limits. And in cases in which the posek is completely convinced that the minhag is wrong and is anti-halacha, so then... Um, he will reject the minhag because, again, as we outlined at the beginning of the year, none of these factors um, work by themselves. While a posseg may be attentive to one of the factors over the other, uh, many poskim, when faced with overwhelming evidence from one of the other three, well, one of the other three factors in psak, will 
favor a different factor. So even if it's true that the Baliyatos, but often would take custom into account to reinterpret the tradition or look at the tradition anew. I'm in cases where they were completely convinced there was no way of understanding the halachic system in accordance with the minhag. They were willing to reject it. So, for example, the Baliyatosva, both on Al-Hadaf and the Rush, at the beginning of Baba Batra, introduce the notion that while there are certain things that are contingent on minhag, there the issue is how thick of a wall does one need to build when separating from a neighbor. Um, there are cer- if there is a minimum thickness to that wall, and if one goes below that, so Rabbeinu Tom writes that in So you can look at that custom and say that that is um, that that is a minhag shtut. It's just nonsense. The Hagot Ashri there expands this slightly and says What we learn from this is that this type of principle of minhag is not always true. There are minhagim where you don't rely on them. Even when it says that it depends on minhag. And he notes, I'm not sure which is which. And then he offers a local interpretation, but I think that his hesitation here um, is more generally true. That it is sufficient to say that minhag is a factor, or nohag, the lived practice of Judaism, is a factor that posts can take into account when interpreting the tradition, but it doesn't always have the final say, though it's hard to pin down when exactly one is going to say, if there's a custom, there must be a way to defend it from the sources, and one when one is going to say, this is so obviously against the sources, that we need to overturn the minhag. Um... In certain cases, you see that the Baliatos were willing to offer um, such interpretations um, that challenge the Minhag, uh, even when the consequences would be quite uh, would be quite dire, um, and therefore you see it in certain cases, even by let's say Gitin, um, even in cases. Um, of uh, of divorce, where theoretically the consequences could be severe, where if you determine that the practice of gitin were invalid, then you would create cases of ishad ish and mamzerut. Um, and in general, Rabbeinu Tam was very hesitant in challenging um, gitin because of shlolaholti laaz ala gitin, because we don't want to. Uh, cast aspersions on um, Gitin. However, if you look at the Chuvah of the Maharshach, and Chelek Betzim, and hey, he has an analysis where he notes that at least in one case that um, Rabbeinu Tam, in fact, suggested changing um, how Gitin were written, and when challenged that you should not change the Minag, um, he responded quite harshly, Minhag You can't rely on Minhag alone because Minhag backwards is Gehenim, is purgatory, is hell. And therefore, you can't always rely on it. If fools 
had this custom, then wise people did not. And even a proper minag doesn't go against the halacha. Um, and therefore, there is clearly a limit um, to uh, to this um, to this principle that we always defend minhagim. It's clearly not always, um, but it is a serious factor that we take uh, into account. Rav Haigaon has an even more striking formulation of why it is that we accept minhag against um, the simple understanding of the sources and allow it to uh, to push us to, towards reinterpretation. He's quoted in the Timim Deim Siman Kufiotet, where he writes, V'yoter mikol rayam izepukhazi mayama davar v'zeh ha'ikar v'hasmach v'achar kach anumabitim b'chol advarim shenem v'gora binyam zeh. First, we look at what people do. And then we look at the Gemara. Because that is the main thing. The custom is the main thing. And therefore, your interpretation of the Gemara cannot uproot that which was the main thing. And Rav Haigon seems to be saying that in a certain sense, the entire acceptance of the Gemara the, as a canonical source, Chazal and the like, um, is based on the acceptance of the community. And therefore, the practice of the community, which clearly indicates that which the community has accepted to do, itself derives its authority from the same source which the Gemara gets its authority from. And therefore, if there seems to be a contradiction between the Gemara and practice, one looks at practice and then interprets the Gemara in light of that, because the authority for the Gemara, or the acceptance of the Gemara, is itself, at a certain level, derived from custom. Um, And this is yet another argument for why it would be that Minhag has such a powerful uh, say in terms of determining what the halacha should be. Um, Admittedly, um, not all poskim were comfortable with with this, and in the Yerushalmi, um, there are places where it says that Minhag is oker halacha, but there were Rishonim... Um, who try to limit that to uh, to monetary cases, where um, where in monetary cases, um, indeed the minhag seems to be the primary category, but did not accept that as much in cases of isur veheter. To, to sum up what we've seen today, <clears throat> as we move to the next category of uh, factors in psak of minhag, um, what's important to note is that often when we talk about minhag, we don't mean custom, which is binding by dint of the fact that it is minhag, but rather because it is an indication, a legitimate indication of what the halacha should be. And we outline two types of cases in which this is true. One, which we dealt with more at length several weeks ago, which is minhagim, such as Ashkenaz and Svar, to accept certain halachic positions. That is really minhag as just an organizing principle of how we choose which interpreters of the tradition we find to be most binding, at least for our, for our life. Um, and there again, this really belongs to the category in Psak of how do we understand um, the interpreter's precedent in that tradition rather than minhag per se. And the second category that we talked about today is what we'll call nohag, the lived practice of the Torah. And here, 
Um, the Pukhazi Mayama Davar category is not Minhag, which is binding as Minhag, but Minhag, which is binding because it's an indication of either which authority one should accept from the choices of precedent, or how one should interpret or reinterpret, perhaps, the canonical sources of Halakha. And the reason this seems to be important is one, as we outlined from Reis Alavechik, based on the language of there may be an assertion there, a belief there, that hashgacha, the divine providence, is guiding the halachic system and the practice of Jews, and therefore it is at least a data point. That which Jews do, we should give it the benefit of the doubt and assume that it is a proper interpretation of the tradition. Rav Haiga'on's formulation, which is that at a certain level, the canonical sources themselves became binding because the Jewish people accepted them, and therefore that which people do uh, to rise from the same source of power, namely the acceptance of the community. Um, the third factor, the Kahala Kadisha factor, the belief that Jews are good and know what they're doing, and therefore um, if they practice in a certain way, it must be defensible. All those are reasons to include the lived practice of the Jewish people as a data point when formulating halacha. Though, as we noted, even though it is a factor, as is the case with all the factors, it doesn't always have the final say. And therefore, we saw several limitations, such as poskim, like the Marie Cologne, who are willing to accept such minhagim, but only if we know um, that they were based on... Um, a ruling of a halachic authority, and then with that combination we're willing to accept it, even if it seems to go against the halacha. Um, and as we saw, even Rabbeinu Tam, who in general is very um, favorable to the minagim, even the, the Balei which tended to defend the lived practice of the Jewish people, when they were firmly convinced that it went against the sources, uh, they were willing to reject it on small things, and even on things where the consequences might be mamzerud or ishad ish, um, and specifically in that context, that surprisingly, Rabbi Nutam says, Minhag ze Gehenam, Gehenam lemafreya, the Minhag in certain sense, Gehenam uh, backwards, uh, and therefore not something uh, to re- be relied on. And therefore, it is clear that the lived practice of the Jewish people is a data point that post can use when determining what the halacha should be. But it is equally clear that, as is the case with the other factors that we've spoken about in Psaac, it doesn't get the final word. It does need to be in conversation, both with how the Posaic understands the precedent, how the previous authorities have understood the halachic system, as well as how the Posaic himself understands the canonical sources on the issue in question.